Yes, you have this good aspect of it, but just like in life, there's a yin and a yang. So with ADHD, you know, just like Superman, he doesn't want to go near the kryptonites, right? That's why I say kryptonite. I really don't want to go near the kryptonite, but he needs to know where the kryptonite is. That way he doesn't go near it. Hello, and welcome to the Women in ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. Before we get started, here's an excerpt from a review from Carolyn Ellen on Apple Podcasts. She writes, makes me feel normal. I was diagnosed this past October at 26 after many years of being told I had depression and anxiety. Since the correct diagnosis and getting my life on track, I have become so much more successful in my job. I'm thankful for this podcast for reminding me I'm normal and educating me further on my recent diagnosis. Yay, I love this, and I couldn't agree more about how this diagnosis is so life-changing. I'm so glad these interviews are helping you to feel normal, although honestly, I think we are anything but normal, and I am totally fine with that. If you've been listening to this podcast and you're loving these interviews, please take a moment. You can just pause and do it right now and then come back. I will still be here. Take a moment to leave me a review or even just hit the five stars. You will be helping this podcast get noticed more on these platforms so that other women can find these interviews and listen and hopefully feel as recognized and validated and excited about their diagnosis as we do. And don't forget, if you're a talker like I am and you prefer to leave verbal feedback, you can now go to my website and leave me a voicemail message at womenandadhd.com slash voicemail. And I may even share it in a future episode. Here we are at episode 34 in which I interview the always charming Dr. Lola Day. Dr. Day is a double-boarded pediatric and fetal cardiologist, as well as a productivity and work-life strategist for women who have ADHD. As someone who did very well in school and was top of her class, she never thought she could have ADHD, but she also knew she really struggled with tasks that were mundane and was constantly down on herself for not achieving everything with the same fervor and enthusiasm as she did medicine. We talk about the stigmas surrounding ADHD, especially in the medical field, as well as the notion of ADHD being a superpower and how it can be problematic if we're not willing to address the very real struggles women face including the trauma of living life undiagnosed. Lola calls those struggles our kryptonite, and her goal is to help other women hone their strengths while targeting their kryptonite so they can create strategies for success and balance in their lives. Lola is incredible. So sit back, hold your hat, and enjoy. So I'm so excited to hear your story. I listened to your kind of coming out episode of your podcast, and related to it so much and, and loved, Aww. loved what you had to say. And I'm so, I have lots of questions. So let's dive in with, with, uh, when you sort of were diagnosed with ADHD, cause it's been a while, right? This isn't yes. anything new, but I feel like it maybe kind of occurred to you on, on various levels as you've aged. So tell me about kind of when you were diagnosed and, and what it was that led you to think you had ADHD. You know, it's so interesting because a lot of people get diagnosed like when they hit rock bottom or like something happened. But with me, um, I mean, looking back, you're like, oh, that's why I did what I did, right? But I never really thought of because even though, yes, I'm in medicine, I know people with ADHD um, don't necessarily have to not 
succeed in school and all that stuff, yes. But at the same time, there's also this, um, what's the word? This idea that everybody has that you can succeed with ADHD. So I just never thought it was me, like, nah. So I was in medical school, the third or fourth year of my medical school, and I was in rounds with one of my mentors who has ADHD, I think. She never told me, but I really do think she does because that's how she was able to like, oh, I think you should get tested. Um, And we're talking and having a conversation. She asked a question and I just like, I would answer her. And she was like, whoa, you're so smart. And just like, appreciating me for who I was right and she's like I bet you're one of those people that did not even study when they went to take exams and just killed it and I was like uh no (laughs) at all and she was like I don't believe you I was like let me tell you my story I'm just listen I'm not one of those super and it's so funny I can say this all the time I'm not one of those super smart people. I have to study 10 times harder than everybody. And I think the reason why was because I have a sister who's four years younger than me. And like, she would like study like maybe the same half the amount of time and get better grades and stuff. So in my mind, I was like, oh, she's just smart. I supposed to, I have this abilities that are preventing me from doing certain things, right? So for me, I had to overcompensate. So if everybody were studying for like, I don't know, a week for an exam, I knew I had to study for a month. So I would overstudy to make up for the silly mistakes I'll make, especially if I knew there were multiple choice questions or standardized questions. Or I don't know how it was with you guys, but like in med- in the medical school exam, they had this long, very long preface questions that are horrible for people with ADHD mm-hmm. that by the time you were done reading it, you were like, what the heck were they trying to ask me? <laughs> So she was like, no, I, 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 I don't believe you. She was like, I think you need to get tested. I've been watching you, you know, like you tend to have some idiosyncrasies that I tend to, uh, I think is very familiar is what she said. And I was like, okay, sure. And to be honest, I did initially was sort of like, what the hell would she think I have ADHD? And then when I thought about it and I started researching it and out, cause I respected this um, mentor so much. I was like, I'm just going to go get tested because she said so. Okay. And I went and got tested and I had one of the, like the nearest psych- psychologist that tested me was like, how did you survive? You have, your attention span is zero. So I I was diagnosed with inattentive ADHD and that's part of it, right? A lot of people, women, especially girls, uh, we're now diagnosed when we're younger because we're not rambunctious in class and we're not doing this. But what people don't realize is that we're actually, (laughs) we're very hyperactive in our mind, right? We may be quiet, but we're thinking about 1,001 different things. So that's, what almost 20 years ago now and even after I was diagnosed I was on medication for a little bit and I didn't like the way it made me feel to be honest because one thing I loved about myself was the fact that I love to strategize and I felt like when I was on the medicine everything was kind of dimmed down and cooled down Mm -hmm. so um so I kind of 
forgot about it. Not forgot. I knew I had it, but I wouldn't tell people. It was almost like the shame I had. Um, it was almost like this, you know, I don't want people to think I can't achieve certain things because of this diagnosis. It wasn't something anybody except for like that mentor I knew and my family knew about. But what I realized is, and after talking to the neuropsychiatrist, it was like, you know, I think what helped you is like, he asked about my my family and how I was growing up and my family, we were very structured. And he was like, that's why all those structures actually saved you, you know? So I joke a lot about how structure saved my life. Um, but yeah, that's how I was diagnosed. And, um, and as I grew and as things changed, but I'm so grateful I was diagnosed that early because I think when I became a mom or when I went into fellowship, which is another level of stress, and when I became a mom and everything kind of descended on me and now I have to actually take care of somebody else, that's when I was like, whoa, this ADHD is no joke. <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's, whereas I had some other friends that was diagnosed later on after they had kids and they had this moment of struggle, like what is going on with me? And, you know, it was because I was diagnosed earlier, I was able to recognize like, oh my gosh, okay, I need to put structures in place. I need to reevaluate things. The same things that I used to use when I was a single person is not going to work now. Like I need to realign, okay, what exactly is this ADHD and how is my ADHD different from other people? And I think that was when I actually started to um, reevaluate maybe come to terms with my diagnosis, I will say, um, with ADHD and really realize how much it could wreak havoc on your life if you really try to ignore it, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it interesting that you were talking about going through, I mean, you're a pediatric cardiologist, right? Mm-hmm. So you're here, mm-hmm. you are, you're in med school, and which is already a huge accomplishment, um, and yet you're concerned that if people knew you had ADHD, that they would think that you were somehow low performing and yet you're already in this like incredibly high performing position. So I know I find it interesting. I, I think like I think so many of us, and for me, what I certainly related to and what was the tip off for me was not the hyperactivity element. Um, but again, feeling like no matter what I did, no matter what I accomplished, my self-esteem was still so low and that I had such a low, um, uh, sense of self and such high expectations for myself too. And that mm-hmm. kind of disparity between how I felt about myself versus my expectations about myself. That was the tip off to my therapist that, that, that was the ADHD. And I, I never would have made that connection on my own. So I find it interesting when we talk about like the stigma of ADHD, when so many, I mean, every woman I interview is so fascinating and brilliant at what she does. Right. And, and yet we still sort of worry about the fact that if people know I have ADHD, they're going to think that, I'm a failure or that there's something wrong with me. And I'm like, but we are all such overwhelming proof (laughs) to the opposite. 
Exactly. And, you know, in, in my program, and I try to kind of bring that out of people, um, a lot of people I do culture high achieving women and they're like, like, I don't understand how I was so good in school. I was top of my class. I was this, I was that. And I tell them the difference between you and somebody else that maybe didn't do well in class does not mean maybe you're smarter than the other person. The difference is you actually loved learning, right? Like, we we or people who have ADHD or women who have ADHD, if you look at where they succeed, they thrive in it because they love it. A lot of times if they're like in a, if they're kind of like pigeonholed in something they don't like, they don't thrive in it because for us, I call us hunter type brains, right? For we hunter type brains, we go for that stimulus we're we're driven by passion we're driven by something that actually fulfills us right so if it's not fulfilling for us then like we don't have that drive that's why we need that extra dopamine to kind of push us to do mundane things so for example I was talking to one of my clients and she was like you know it's so crazy I could like have 10,000 different businesses but then I started and I'm like I don't feel like doing that other stuff you know mm-hmm. and I was like that, that's we are great at initiation we're great at strategization and I was like we're supposed to be visionaries we're supposed to be CEOs but are we supposed to be the chief operating officers no we're not really good at the mundane things right can we do it yes do we get bored from it absolutely so I think when you know yourself and you and that's why I talk about owning your your superpowers and knowing your kryptonite I, I say that all the time because I feel like mundane things for me like what everybody expects you to do is almost like a kryptonite for me so when I know that's going to be my kryptonite so what are the things I have to look for to help me take charge of that right so if you're going to start a, a company and you know you as an ADHD person you love starting but you don't like those little things that actually make the company continue you so you have to see maybe this is a good idea to partner with someone who's OCD about stuff like that and they could be the chief operating officer and while you take the vision and just carry it on and I tell people you know I yes I said I'm not superwoman but I have a lot of sidekicks around me that help me I don't do all of this by myself right um, even in my business I have like my virtual assistant that helps me at home I have people that come to the house and help me with certain things and it's really knowing what your strengths are right I'm able to tell them my vision and they help me actualize that vision so knowing what exactly it is that you're good at and be good at that stuff right that's why people like Simone Biles who is an amazing gymnast right can win all those gold medals people like Phelps he's a swimmer Will Smith like there was an interview they did with will smith and his wife was like when he gets into acting don't even talk to him he goes into this crazy hyper focus mode i was like yep adhd (laughs) (laughs) so but he's doing what he loves and that's why he thrives in it so now how do you know what it is you need because i feel like i certainly have realized since my diagnosis, and I talk about this a lot with on the podcast, the, the idea of like, 
I realize how important it is to get help, you know, that we can't, we have a tendency to think we can do things on our own. We -hmm. can't follow through, we get distracted. And so like, there are ways in which we need our hands held. A lot of the time we need assistance, we need coaching, you know, whatever it is, but to like to reach out and to not feel uh, shame about asking for help a lot of the time, I think is really, really important to us in our own journeys. But uh, sometimes I also feel like I don't even know where I need help to begin with. Right. And I think that there's like that two-step process of kind of even figuring out, like even being able to stop, kind of look inward and think like, okay, what is it I need right now can be a really difficult thing for us to kind of stop and slow down. And we're inattentive when it comes to ourself and our needs a lot of the time as well. Absolutely. And I think a lot of um, what has helped me with ADHD is mindfulness and being aware. And that's a muscle like we would have to work on individually. And I actually recommend that you have a notebook with you all the time. Or if you have like a little, you know, if you're digital, like you don't want to, you know, waste trees, like have like a um, a little notes in your eye on your phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I actually like the tactile writing of things. It helps me a lot in journaling. So a lot of times, like, so let's say, you know, I'm somewhere and let's use something as silly as I lost my keys. And I don't know where I lost my keys. I journal about it. Like, why exactly do I think I lost my keys? Why, what can I do next time to prevent this idea of losing my key? Is it, and a lot of times when I say help, it doesn't necessarily mean like hire someone sometimes. Sometimes it's just putting the processes in place, Mm -hmm. right? So for example, like I have this lady, like I always lose my key. Is it okay to just have a drawer where you always put it and you don't move away till you put it there? So having your own internal um, sets that helps you, right? Um, But if you're not even thinking about ADHD, then you're not thinking to be aware of it. So I think that's the first step. Like people underestimate how into why ADHD is in is in our entire life. Like it's the way our brain is wired, right? So a lot of stuff we do, even things like binge eating, you know, like I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like like it's all intertwined with how we do certain things and just journaling about it. Once you journal about it, I feel like it gives you a lot of clarity. First of all, so I think clarity is the number one thing. Like, okay, so I've done this. So I think I may be missing this. And then the second step is if you don't know, I think it's okay to have like one or two people who understands what you're doing, right? Or what's going on with you. Even if you don't have a coach, I always encourage you to have a coach. But even if you don't have a coach who can pull that, you know, help you out and say, I think you need help here. Like you could have a best friend, you could have a husband, or you could have, you know, just a, a not even if not a, like an accountability partner, like in my program, they have accountability partners that we set them with that can say, okay, so this is what I have done. And this is what I've journaled about. And this is what I think about it. Right. So where do you think I can change? Or what do you think I can change? The first is what? And then the second is how do you think I could change it? And then the third is who do you think can help me change it? Sometimes the who is you. Right. And sometimes it's getting someone else. So that's how I kind of go about it. Like what, how, who. 
I love that. That reminded me of a, um, a body doubling, you know, and why so many of us mm-hmm. love to, or, or, or thrive when it comes to that sort of level of accountability when it comes to doing tasks. And I used to really uh, be averse to body doubling because I was worried that if I came and said I ha- was, was going, intended to do something and then didn't do it, that I would then feel like a failure. And so I wouldn't show up in the first place. And I remember the first time I felt okay about body doubling was when the person who was organizing it, it was the, um, the ADHD enclave, when they were talking about, which I've joined in love, a um, little throw, throw that out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but they were talking about how you don't have to do what you say you've set out to do. It's just a level, you know, they gave me permission to mm-hmm. not do that thing. And then, of course, and then I felt okay about showing up and saying I would like to do something. And then I always do that and thing. And then you did it. Right? That's the, that's the funny part of it. But it was just the fear that I wasn't going to do it that kept me from even doing anything to begin with. And I found that such an interesting, like, thought process. Isn't that, like, it's so weird the way our brain is wired. Like, I absolutely agree with that. And in our accountability group, we do the same thing. Like, I'm like, so like, listen, like, yes. So we have this thing called focus session where we go through like a Pomodoro technique. And in the beginning we say, this is what we're going to do. And you know, whatever, whatever. And at the end, we're like, so who did what they said they would do, you know? And if you did it, it wasn't like, yeah, you did it. It was like, okay, so what's the next thing you do? And if you didn't do it, it was like, okay, so why didn't we do it? What can we do next time to make sure we did it and and it was almost like a freedom and then we started realizing that the more we did it like that it wasn't like a oh my gosh why didn't you do your stuff Uh, (laughs) and the more we did it like that the more people actually did what they said they were like we gave them freedom like oh okay something came out of course your mom your, your daughter ran into the room and something you know so it gave the idea that And I think it's more like you feel like you're with like-minded people and they understand you and you won't be judged. I think that's what it is. And then the second part about it is that knowing that they also are like you and they're getting it done. So you can get it done because, you know, they got theirs done. Oh, I like that. So I think it's a two-step process. Yeah, because it makes sense that there would be a fear of, of letting other people down because I think we all share a lot of that sense of that we have let people down. You know, we're told that we have a certain potential and we're not living up to that potential or that, you know, that there is a sense of sort of that we don't really understand why we do things or why we don't think don't do things. And so there's always this sense of like, well, maybe I'll show up and I'll be a failure. Um, so it makes sense that that would be something for us to like inherently fear. But I love what you say about feeling like it's a safe place where everybody else is in that same boat. We, mm-hmm. and I think what we love about finding each other and talking to each other about ADHD and how, you know, how, um, Hallowell and Rady in their book, ADHD 2.0, they talk about the vitamin C, a vitamin community, and how important community is to us. Absolutely. And let's see. I, I was going to say, I'm still amazed whenever I talk to doctors with ADHD. How do you remember? That's <laughs> How is your memory? Because I feel like there is so much memorization in the medical field. Is that... What's your, yes, what are yes, your structures yes around and that? No. 
Right. So yes and no. So in medical school, I realized I did not like memorization whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I knew I, I was not one of those. I had this friend could literally like memorize the whole book. That was not me. So I knew whenever there was stuff that had to do with memorization, first of all, I had to change it into like a mnemonic association. Like it wasn't like, yeah, I just, I don't do memorization. So that's partly why I went into cardiology. Cardiology makes sense. You can think through it. Cardiology is very um, physiologic dependent, right? So for example, if I hear a certain murmur, in a little kid, I could tell based on the murmur, okay, the blood is going on this certain side. So that means this happens and that means that happens. Like I can deduce it. I can think through it. So that's why I love cardiology. It, it just makes sense. There are other things like, and I'm not putting my neurologist down now, but there are other specialties like neurology where like you, you have to memorize a lot of stuff because it's just what it is. Mm-hmm. It, eight, one plus one doesn't equals two. Whereas in cardiology, like it's more like physics, right? Like it's more pipes and blood flow. And I say we're just plumbers and electricians in cardiology. Like it's the electrical system of the heart and the plumbing system of the heart. It's very simple. I mean, I'm obviously oversimplifying it, but like it just makes sense to me. So that's why I actually picked my specialty because it makes sense. I don't do memorization. Oh, interesting. I I feel like I want to do an informal survey about like which fields of medicine tend to attract ADHD brains versus other fields of medicine. (laughs) Right. So I'm in a group. I may actually do that. I'll let you know. I'm in a group of physicians that have ADHD on Facebook Uh and I'm going to put a poll up. A lot of us, a lot of them end up going to ICU uh, again, a lot of physiology, um, ER, because you're always up. And one thing like people with ADHD are good at is when everybody is um, scared, we're usually calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ER, which is, which was one of my top specialties, like now I'm like thinking about like, oh, that's why I loved ER. Like we're usually calm under pressure. So ER, trauma surgery, like all those high intense things, like, yes, like you could see that you're like, oh yeah, you have it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. But I think I may do a formal poll. <laughs> <laughs> and now are you practicing still? Cause I feel like you do, or mm-hmm. you coach and you practice and you do everything. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So I, um, I practice full-time, um, Monday through Friday, but my coaching usually is like in the evenings or Saturday. So um, my coaching actually started like two and a half years ago, I would say, and it actually didn't have to do with ADHD at all. I was just helping moms who were overwhelmed, but I would use my ADHD strategy. And I realized that while it helped us maybe by 10%, it like quadrupled them, right? Because <laughs> like they, they didn't have any neurodivergence issues. <laughs> so like they were like, oh my gosh, Lola, you're amazing. Um, 
because they will constantly be like, Lola, I don't know how you do it. You have a busy practice and you have this podcast. So I'll like, just, you know, I'll be like, just come to my house on a Saturday. We'll go through all your schedule. And I literally do like what now I call a VIP day. I go through all their schedule when we kind of like strategize. I give them pointers. I give them tips I use. I give them all those little tricks. And it transforms them. Um, and I used to do just like one a month. Because I was like, I'm also very self-aware of the amount of things I want to do. I did it because I loved it, not because I was trying to make money off it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about a year ago, um, a particular person was like, I don't think it's fair you only take one person a month. Because I have all these people who want to get into your program and they can't get in. And, and I'm like, well, it's not really a program. I just do this because I love it. And then I started toying with the idea of group program. So my group program has like basically what I used to go over with everybody, like in a um, in a course format. So basically you do like a five or 10 minute video every day. And then we just strategize together one day a week. Um, so I would say majority of my business work, honestly, that takes a lot of my time. It's not the program. The program part is the easiest part because I love doing it, right? Like when you love it, you don't care. Mm-hmm. It's not the marketing and the, you know, the other aspect of the business side that we don't like. <laughs> so I just hire someone to do that part. <laughs> um, and I love what you talk about when you, with the kryptonite and the superpower, because I feel like we do talk about the superpower a lot. I certainly feel like there's so much in my own life that I attribute to so much positive that I attribute to ADHD. And I'm glad I can, because I felt like before my diagnosis, I'd never really thought about the positives. I only Mm -hmm. dwelled on the negatives. And so my diagnosis has really helped me see so many of my own positives. But I also see that the term superpower can be problematic for some because Absolutely. of people who are still really struggling and that just getting your diagnosis doesn't mean you stop struggling. We still live mm-hmm. in a world where we require a lot of help and we require a lot of structure. And like you said, um, if you ignore your ADHD, <laughs> you can get into uh, a real, you know, downturn. Like it's, it's really a matter of sort of keeping on top of what you need to lean into and what you don't need to lean into. So like, I love that, how you've sort of set up that dichotomy of the superpower and the kryptonite and and that the two of them go hand in hand. And it's really about knowing what those are. You know, I think we especially really need to label things in a very like Absolutely. concrete way that maybe other people don't. Absolutely. And, you know, to be honest, like I get what people are trying to do when they say, oh, my gosh, a superpower. Don't think about the bad part. Think about the good part. I get it. Right. You're trying to change a mindset of people who have talked so horrible about themselves and you're trying to show them like this is what you are capable of. So I get it. But I think, like you said, um, in forgetting that there are people who are really and it's also a spectrum. Like some people have a really bad way worse than I do. Right. Um, and in just saying it's a superpower, it kind of makes those people feel like this isn't a superpower. I can function with this, but knowing that, listen, yes, you have this good aspect of it, but just like in life, there's a yin and a yang. 
So we ADHD, you know, just like Superman, he doesn't want to go near the kryptonites, right? That's why I say kryptonite. I really don't want to go near the kryptonite, but he needs to know where the kryptonite is. That way he doesn't go near it. So you have to be very, very aware of what your liabilities are that comes with this ADHD so you don't go near it. And then that will help you lean more into your superpower. So it doesn't mean like ADHD is not, you know, I don't want to call it bad, right? But it doesn't mean that it cannot be, um, it cannot wreak havoc in your life. It can, but you have to be aware of both the good and the bad of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was explaining it to my daughter who is left-handed with the analogy of of being left-handed in a right-handed world, right? And so Mm -hmm. when you were my age, I was left-handed when I was a kid, but I was forced to become right-handed by my my kindergarten teacher. And so my generation, a lot of the time, we were just forced to become (laughs) right-handed. And and so she's left-handed, but I was like, imagine living in a world where you don't have left-handed scissors, you know, or so Mm -hmm. that you're always trying to cut and they're not working properly and you don't understand why everyone else is cutting fine and they're just not working for you, or you go to school and everybody's desk is set up for right-handed people and you can't figure out how to get, I'm like, that's what it feels like. It's like the world just isn't set up for a certain way of thinking. And so when somebody creates left-handed scissors, it's just this like amazing, miraculous, wonderful way in which you can function better in the world. And, and but without that, you feel like somehow you're failing and you, and you can't figure out why. Right, right. So, yeah, it does feel like in some in so many ways, it's really just a matter of figuring out, like you said, like the structures that you need. What are the left handed scissors that you need in, in each situation and how can you get the best out of yourself? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I've never heard the scissors analogy. I love that. I may <laughs> use that. Absolutely. I was like, yes, I've never thought of it that way. You know, we we talk about the hunters and the family theory. I don't know if you've heard about yeah. that. But, uh, but yes, this one makes more sense. <laughs> well, and it's like you were saying when you were saying in your podcast, too, about the fact that it's like, this isn't a disability. This is really yeah. just a differential differential. This is a, a different way of thinking. And when you're, when you're in a world that expects one way of thinking and you're on a different, it's not better. It's not worse. It's just is what it's it is. And different. It is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And it expects you to fit in. Right. And, uh, and the, I think the dichotomy for us is like the world expects us to fit in because they expect that we're all like that, right? Um, the left hand and the right hand thing, back in your generation, you're not supposed to be left-handed. You're supposed to be right-handed. So they forced you to be right-handed, right? You did it, but I'm sure there are some people that have a horrible right hand right handwriting because they were forced to be right-handed. Whereas if they have left them left-handed, they would have been okay, you know? It's simple, Uh, but just like ADHD as well, like we are forced to be in this world that um, things go in a certain pace and is expected to go in that certain pace. Whereas our brain wants to 
invasion and think through things and strategize and do what it wants to do when it wants to do it, right? So, um, I mean, I love my brain. Like I said, it helps me strategize. But at the same time, I also acknowledge the um, the limitations that I have to deal with to be able to fit in this world that we live in. Because this is the only world we have, so we got to fit in it somehow. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I'm very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and in fact, it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it's so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. The service is available for clients worldwide, so there's a broad range of expertise, which may not be available locally for a lot of us. Also, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash Women ADHD. I have spoken to, you know, I have interviewed women who are PhDs, who are uh, medical professionals, and then I've interviewed women who are, who have dropped out of college multiple times. And so we all have such different relationships, very complicated relationships with academia. And, and for me, like it was, I just feel like we're, but one thing we all have in common is how voraciously we love learning. And so for me, it was really like being able to separate my intelligence and my love of learning from my experience with academia was huge. <laughs> that I'm like, my intellect is, or my experience with academia is no reflection on my intellect. And I really needed to like have that drive home for me because it was so, it was a sense of shame I always had throughout my whole life, which was like feeling like I wasn't really a smart person because I struggled so much in school and barely graduated by the skin of my teeth. Oh my gosh. So like, it's so funny. I remember earlier I said, I never thought I was that smart because I studied more than everybody else. And I think with me, one of the things that helped me, I'm also very competitive. I'm like <laughs> uber competitive. Like with myself though, right? Like I'm very, very competitive with myself. Like I set a goal, I will teach you ADHD. You know, like I'm that kind of person. And I think that the structure in my family and the ability to always, even with ADHD, right? Like we all thought about cliff notes. Let's just use cliff notes to get this. Like the the ability to be able to find another way to get things done was how I was able to survive. I don't think um, I'm any smarter than anybody who wasn't getting all A's. I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm more of a genius than anybody else. I think I was just born in the right family at the right time with the right uh, amount of competitiveness. And that's why I was able to get to where I needed to get to. Um, and in, in learning things like cliff notes, I loved math. I don't know if you loved math or not, because math made sense. That's why I loved it. Like, I didn't have to memorize anything. Mm-hmm. If I knew the formula, I was good. 
<laughs> I was going to say, I used to love math un, uh, until high school when I really just kind of dropped out altogether of all my classes. <laughs> but I was always really great at math. But the one thing I always had a problem with was memorizing the formulas, which luckily they don't make you do anymore. Now they don't make kids memorize make those really long way. formulas. But I, I remember telling my daughter when she was 12 or 13, that I was like, the only time I ever cheated on tests was when I would write the form, the math formulas inside the cover of my Texas Instruments calculator <laughs> because it was a plastic calculator and I could write the formulas mm -hmm. in pencil. And then as soon as I got mm. sat down to the test, I would write all the formulas on my paper yeah, and then I would erase I them. I would erase them from the um, Texas Instruments calculator so I didn't get caught. And I was like, I always felt terrible about that because I knew it was cheating. But I was like, there was no way I could have memorized those. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like it's, something just occurred to me right now because I remember I used to have an index card of all the formulas and I will come up with like little mnemonics for them to like memorize them and I would like people know don't talk to me before a test do not talk to Lola she does not talk she don't look in her eyes because I'm literally like reciting it in my head so I don't forget and then as soon as I sat down I like wrote it down real quickly <laughs> yes I never thought about <laughs> oh, totally right. Where you have to hold on to something. I mean, yeah. that's such a, such a huge part of our, our difficulty with functional memory, which is like, yeah, if I need to remember something, I have to think about that one thing over and over and over again until yeah. I can write it down or I can, right. you know, put it where it needs to go. Otherwise I'll forget about it. That's why I hate a standardized test, mm. right? Oh, like yeah. when you did standardized tests, like you had a billion formula, like you didn't know, like I would like literally think of like maybe the 10 most important ones they would ask that I'll write those down in front of my paper. Um, back then during the SATs pre-computer, you had papers. And then what I hated about it is like after each section, they would take your paper from you and then you get another paper. You're like, dang it, <laughs> all my formulas are gone. <laughs> Yeah, I was just um, talking to somebody recently who was talking about the agony of like a ticking clock. One of my interviews, we were talking about ticking clocks in exam rooms, and it just like brought me right back to so many of those huge gymnasium exam tests in college and having some noise somewhere where I would be like, all right, I'm going to flunk this exam right now because I can only think about that ticking clock right now. Yes, yes. Oh, I, my gosh. Yes. I feel like oh, I could. You're like reminding me so many things right now. Yeah, as you're that's saying what I mean. That. I feel like I could have an entire episode about like test taking, you know, and all of the all of the extra hard work that we have to do when it comes to taking tests to manage all of that, mm -hmm, all of those mm -hmm. idiosyncrasies. <laughs> and it just goes back to that idea of like, yeah, you we really work very hard in order to kind of keep those structures in place. And that was, I almost cried when, when I was getting my diagnosis and I was talking to my doctor because she said, do you lose your keys? And I said, no, I don't lose my keys, but I also have to always have my keys in this one spot. And I always have to have like, you know, I do this and I have reminders and I have um, alarms. And I was telling her about all of these ways in which I feel the like structures, yeah, yeah. the structures. So I'm never late, you know, I'm lateness was never mm -hmm. an issue for me, but this is why. And I told her all the things that I do to make sure I'm never late. And she was like, wow, you work really hard. And I kind of stopped and I, I wanted to cry because I felt like I've spent my whole life thinking I didn't work hard. You know, like I spent my mm -hmm. whole life thinking I was lazy. And I think lazy mm -hmm. is such 
you know, in my house, we call it the L word because it's so negative. And I think it's something that we attribute to ourselves so much. And it was really the first time that I heard, was able to allow myself to hear that, no, I'm actually a really hard worker. And, and it like blew my mind. (laughs) Yeah. And if you look at some of the positives of people who have addiction, one of them is grit. Like we have grit, like we are able. And it's so funny because when I sometimes try to like mentor some like young kids, they're like, I'm so lazy. I don't get stuff done. And I'm like, actually, no, you're not. And I would like ask them questions just like your therapist did. And they're like, I do this to get this. And I'm like, do you know how many of your friends do that? Let me tell you right now, probably not that many. So the fact that you're going through this many hoops to get this simple thing as not forgetting your keys is the fact that you're hardworking. You're actually wanting this to work. Laziness is not caring. You actually care, you know, so that's the difference. And um, it's, it's so, it's quite amazing talking to people uh, like yourself and other people are just realizing that, oh, wow, they are right. We're mm. all alike. <laughs> well, and I love how many women I interview too who have gone, who do things to help others. You know, like I feel like we are so empathetic because of that struggle that there's a sense of mm-hmm. like, if I know that there is another woman out there who is dealing with what I was dealing with a year ago and I came up with a solution, like I, I will help anyone uh, try to find that solution too. And I feel like so many of us end up becoming coaches and end up like becoming advocates and really kind of dedicate ourselves to helping others in a way. I agree. I agree, which is why I went into it and which is why I, I realized that in me, not, uh, you talked earlier about me coming out. Yeah. <laughs> in me not coming out, I realized that I wasn't really helping my tr- tribe, like I like to call us, right? Like my people that needed me. Mm-hmm. I help a lot of moms and it's great. And, and as you know, you're a mom. A lot of moms are overwhelmed, ADHD or not. But moms who have ADHD, it's to another level. Mm-hmm. So in me not coming out and letting people know that I had ADHD, I felt like I was actually not helping the people I really should be helping. Um, and now since people know I have ADHD, a lot of moms who have ADHD have contacted me and been like, listen, I've been to people to help me strategize my life and they'll give me stuff that doesn't work for my brain (laughs) you know like they'll give me tips that just does not work for me or they'll say oh why don't you just do this and you're like I just can't do that because I don't remember to do that you know um and it's been a lot more fulfilling I mean like working with moms is fulfilling for me but working with moms who have ADHD as has just been amazing um and one thing I've also been encouraging the mom is like a lot of them get diagnosed because their child gets diagnosed. Actually, that about 40% of children who have ADHD, their moms have ADHD. And about um, the children who have diagnosis, about 50% dads have it, 40% moms have it. So it's a it's very hereditary. Um, so me teaching them a lot of the strategies, they're implementing it not only in their own life, but in their children's life as well. 
So I have been implementing some stuff for my daughter too. And I'm hoping maybe years down the line, we could maybe write a book together and see if we can help mother daughters with ADHD um, owning earlier, you know. Because know. they're like, ADHD's like, what is that? Does it mean I'm different? No, you're not different. It was just special. You're like mommy. She's like, I'm like you? I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I do have so much gratitude <laughs> for the pandemic in that way, because I feel like the pandemic was what led to my diagnosis, because like you said, like we had all of my structure, everything, this house of cards that I had in my household that was working, stopped working when everybody was home. And, and I suddenly had to be the housekeeper and the, the maid and the cook and the teacher and everything. And I just kind of fell apart. And now looking back a year later, it was because, you know, it took that breakdown for me to really take ADHD seriously. And then now I think about how the opportunity I have to help my children, because my son, who is exactly like I was in terms of what he struggles with in school, I now have a name for that. And I now can help him as opposed to, you know, if, if I hadn't seen this, if he was still at school and struggling, and I don't know how I would have, you know, how what teachers would have thought it was or, you know, how they would have looked at it or if they would have just said, you know, he's, he's just a C student and that's okay. You know? Yeah. Just distracted. Yeah. Or I don't even, I mean, yeah. Or he just doesn't like reading and you're like, all right, mm -hmm. well, you know, like all of these ways that you sort of just brush it off and think, well, mm -hmm. I guess you're not working hard enough. Oh, well, mm -hmm. you know, um, so yeah, I do have a lot of gratitude for how this is going to help not only me moving forward, I mean, it's helped me tremendously, but just like now the opportunity that I have to help my kids is Right. And great. even giving them the ability and the the allowance to be able to do things that they love, right? Knowing that people like us who have um, ADHD, we thrive in things we love doing. So like I say, like, okay, if your child doesn't like a class because they don't love it, can we teach them how to love it? Mm -hmm. Maybe that will help them thrive, right? Um, so, like, my daughter, like, when we have to memorize, like, she has to memorize some her spellings and stuff. And we know how we are with memorization. So we do dance parties while we're memorizing and we make it fun. So now she loves memorizing her spelling, you know, because it's dance party days and stuff. So you just have to find ways for them to love it so they can thrive in it. And since we've been doing that, like, I mean, she's always done okay with it. And she's been, like, acing it. Because all she said, oh, mommy, when I was spelling this, I remember when you shaked your butt like this. <laughs> and I remember when you did like that, you know. And you know, I, I do all that because I know that that would help her. Would I still be doing that when she was in high school? Probably not. But now that I can do it. <laughs> but you've given her, yeah, you'll give her the tools to be able to shake her own butt when she needs to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And a lot of it also is a foundation and the confidence, right? What I don't want her to have now is that confidence of I'm not smart, right? right? So if I can build that confidence now that you're smart, you just have to do it differently. It's going to help her when she's in middle school and high school and ends for it. And you know, like later I told her, I was like, you know, this 
you just don't like learning that way. Like they're even like her math, for example, her, you know, this new math they're doing. And I was like, listen, I know they want you to learn it this way, but let's do it this way to get the answer and it will go backwards. You know, like So one thing I do ask all of my guests is if you had a chance to rename ADHD, would you come up with a different name? Because those those that acronym can be so problematic, especially to women when it comes to seeing ourselves in the diagnosis. Yeah. So I, um, I came across, um, a particular name recently and it's, um, variable attention stimulus trait. Have you Mm -hmm. heard that? Yeah. I know that, uh, Hallowell and Rady talk about that a lot in, in ADHD 2.0. And, you know, I, I, I feel like that works better Mm -hmm. Because, and I tell people, they're like, oh, you know, people with ADHD, their, you know, their problem is attention. I'm like, the problem is not with our attention, it's with regulation of our attention. Yeah, there's right? no deficit of attention. Right. There's no, like, like, oh, 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 you know, like, oh, there goes the scroll, you know. <laughs> So we can hyper-focus and we can no-focus. We don't, like I, I, I had a thing about Instagram the other day. I was like, we're either, we don't half-ass anything. We're either whole-ass in it or no-ass in it. I love that phrase, yeah. <laughs> or the light switch. You see that meme right. a lot of like interest, no interest, yeah. Exactly, you know. So I think that works better. It's a variable attention trait that we have. And if you know it's variable, you just have to realize what do we really want to pay more attention to or not. Um, And I like that. And I think I'm going to cop it. I I like that. Yeah. Well, they're (laughs) really trying to make it stick, too, because I do feel like, um, especially when it comes to advocating for what this looks like uh, Mm -hmm. in adults and in women and in girls, I mean, it is so... It is. It really ADHD. I feel like does not do it justice. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it really doesn't. And then when I think of a disorder, right? I'm thinking of something that needs to be fixed or can be fixed, right? And I tell people like, oh, they're like, oh, I, I'm gonna get my medicine. It's gonna cure my ADHD. I'm like, it does not cure it. Mm-hmm. What you what a lot of this medicine, what it does is it increases the receptor of your dopamine. So it basically increases your interest receptor. Your dopamine is like your feel-good receptors. Um, that's all it does. And when you're off it, it's down again. So it doesn't cure it. Uh, so and when you have disorder, also it also makes people think there's something inherently wrong with me, which is not true. You're just different. You know, um, I say this sometimes and people don't like when I say, I'm like, you know, when you look at me, I'm black. You know, I will always be black. I will always be beautiful, ebony. That's what I am. It's not going to change, right? ADHD, that's who I am. It's just the way my brain is wired. And I think the more I accepted that, the more I was able to like work within it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, you just brought up something huge, because I feel like one thing I have loved about the ADHD community is how I feel like the most intelligent voices are black women. And I love that. How many communities are we able to be in where the where I feel like we I have I have been exposed to so many incredible like leaders who are black women. And I love I mean, I feel like the reason why and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when I think about 
you know, our lives as, as women with undiagnosed ADHD. And I feel like we, so much of our experience was like self-denial and behaving and masking and so many things where then you think about what it was, you know, and then I think as a white woman, I think like, what must it be like to add to that, the element of of being raised as a black woman in a society Mm -hmm. that is not that is deny you know denies who you are and and denies your power and like um it just like it i find it very overwhelming like it just blows me away thinking about how that extra element right of identity you hit something right there (laughs) yep 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 Oh, yeah. And I didn't want to go there. I really didn't want to go there. And, you know, when I talked about that, one is to show my ADHD, that's part of it, right? Like, I already have this one layer of being a minority in in medicine. Right. <laughs> and either we like it or not, like, there is there are some stereotypes in medicine. And there are some people that would never think you're going to be a good physician because of who you are mm-hmm. or what you look like, not who you are, because of what you look like. Because deep in our skin, I'm a cardiologist. I've done anatomy. I could tell you we all look the same under this melanin, right? Uh, but then, you know, you have that layer and you said something about, you know, we, we um, minorities tend to have this performance thing. Like we try to, we try to fit in, in the common world. Yes. This is how it's supposed to be. And, you know. So you can imagine that and then adding ADHD on top of it. And just the the level to which you have to work harder to sort of show you your you know, to show up in a room, you know, right. and, and to right. feel like you belong. I mean, I feel like there's such that additional tax of the of a black woman tax, I, right? That's why I would work ten times harder, yeah. right? Like I would for for us, for example, I remember when I went got into medical school, there were five blacks in a class of 200 mm-hmm. so um, the idea already was like oh blacks don't do well in medical school so how dare I say because I have ADHD I'm not going to do well so I will come I will come into class in the morning as early so first of all I didn't listen to I was never in quote-unquote lecture I, all the lectures were recorded, thankfully. So what I would do is that I was always a day behind. So I would come to the library at like 5.30, 6 a.m. in the morning as soon as they were open. And I would listen to the day before's lecture in one and a half speed. So because it was one and a half speed, I had to pay attention because it was going so fast, right? So I would do that. Um, and then when I was done with that, I would quiz myself and teach myself. And I literally would be in school from 6 a.m. to like 10 p.m. every day, you know. And I did that and I worked so hard to get to where I got to because how dare I get this opportunity to be a physician and then I don't do well in medical school because the way, and if you ask any Black woman, they'll tell you like, you almost feel like you don't want to do bad because if you did bad, they will automatically think, oh, black people don't do You've well. You've proven them right. Yeah. Oh, I exactly. know. Right? Yeah. So that's why I worked so hard in medical school. And then I got a residency. Same thing. I worked double hard in residency. And oh, fellowship was even worse. 
you know, like, so it's like this thing, like, I don't regret it because I feel like the more I did it and the more they see, like this mentor that I was talking about, she was a white woman, right? And she was always enthralled about how much I knew. And, and in my mind, I was like, if this lady knew how much I studied, <laughs> right? <laughs> But she, 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 I called her my, my mini savior, right? Because she was able to see it in me. Like, she's like, no, you're very intelligent. And I want you to go get tested. Um, so there's always allies around us um, that's helped us. But yes, yes. I didn't know we were going to go there today. I know. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think it's incredible. And I think also, and I, that also brings us back to the idea of stigma too, because of that Mm. sense of like, how is my, if I'm open about ADHD, how is it going to be received? Because I don't want to feel like I can just, you know, if I don't want to give anybody a reason, an additional reason to look down on me or to pity me or something, you know? And I've, and so it also comes back to what we were, you were talking about with grit too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in some ways I imagine you would credit the ADHD for, for accomplishments, but at at the same time realizing, well, no, but I'm actually like a really hard worker (laughs) and (laughs) it's the grit that got me where I am. And so how do you intertwine those? I don't know, but I, for what I'm just, I am so grateful for since being kind of introduced to the ADHD community, that there is this incredible, representation of black women because like I said like it's not something you get a lot of you know that there's not a lot of communities where I feel like I can sit and listen and um and help amplify your voices and and feel like you are teaching me so much about the insights and and the awareness Mm -hmm. and having just like I I feel like I'm learning so much from different voices that thank god aren't more white men (laughs) And we can all benefit from that, right? (laughs) From that experience. So... Oh, no, I appreciate you. And, you know, and it, it takes someone wanting to just, you know, because at the end of the day, like, does it really matter, like, what the skin color of the person talking is? No. Society has just put that struct- that constructed, right? So, um, no, I appreciate you having us on your podcast. And I've loved, I mean, it, was, it is our, like, I've learned other things about myself. Like, wait, that's true. I used to do that. <laughs> Uh, it's been such a pleasure. I'm I'm so glad I got this chance to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your wisdom. And I mean, you are doing so much. What are the best ways people can find you out there on the internet and work with you if they need to, or just get more of your insights? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I think one of the easiest places people can get a hold of me is just going on my Instagram. And then if you go on my bio, I have like multiple places. <laughs> I was like, you which one? Like, yeah. <laughs> which one of them? <laughs> um, so if you go on my bio, my um, company name is Lolly Taskin. So that's www.lolliteskin.com. But my Instagram is lollytasker. I love the phrase lollytasking too, because it kind of reminds <laughs> me of like lollygagging, but, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. but, but at the same time, the right. But at the same time, it's like, but I'm also like, I'm kicking butt. <laughs> And, right, do, and exactly. doing a million things at once. 
Yeah, I, I, I love that you caught that because like, you know, at least in the South, it's like, step lolly gaga. It's like, lolly guy is like, just that, you know, whatever. But it's like, no, like I'm lolly tasking. So it kind of <laughs> works both ways. No, I love it. I love it. It's great. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again so much. It's been an no, absolute pleasure. You. This is fantastic. I appreciate you having me on the show. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at WomenAndADHD. If you are a woman who is diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.